weeks just been um mostly been inspired in the morning time before I um come forth normally I try to put together a PowerPoint presentation and sometimes that's not always possible I just want to just ask you to just um be in prayer for one another we have quite a few people that have been experiencing a lot of health challenges physical health challenges I mean sickness um in that way and we've also just had a lot of people having problems within their family and stress. So just be sure that as you pray, you're definitely considering the conservatory, that you're praying in your heavenly language concerning us, and you're praying God's best, you know. So I want to start by reading a poem to you this morning. We're going to be talking about encouragement, but we're going to take it from a different way. I want to ask you just right now, if you can, to just enter the chat and just tell me when you hear the word exhortation and encouragement, what that means to you, what that means to you. Just hit your chat and just say, what does it mean to you personally? We're not looking for a biblically correct answer. We're just looking for where you are. So we have building up. Um, We have someone saying, correcting someone, uplifting and cheering and on, hope, reminders of what is true and enduring. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Um, We have sticking together in love. Hope is a, yeah, Dominique said hope. Minister Dominique said hope is a wonderful one. Encouraging one, uplifting, straightening and strengthening, pumping up people. Absolutely. All of those things are correct. And so I want you to just hold some of those thoughts in your heart because we're going to look at encouragement and we're going to put it on the backdrop of all of these words, undergirding, being held up, being a cheerleader, pumping people up, uh, just, you know, we're going to lay that as our foundation. I want you to hold on to your words and what you believe. Support is a good one. Speaking life into people and situations. So we all know this. So we don't have to go through the process of redefining what encouragement is, what it means to exhort, because we know how powerful that place is on the inside of us. And there will never be a time in our lives ever when we don't need it in some area. We also saw somebody post just now. They said, make alive, make alive. Oh, that's that's fitting with what we're talking about this morning. Make alive. So hold on to that. And everything that you've shared is true. Everything that you've shared is, is on point. But I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter how great things are going in your life, No matter how bad things are going, as long as we're living in the earth, there's going to be a constant cycle of needing encouragement, a constant cycle of needing strengthening. And I'm talking about really needing it, not just, oh, I need somebody to encourage me because I'm feeling down today. You know, we know the importance of encouraging ourselves, but there are sometimes some situations that we face in our lives where we cannot encourage ourselves at the level that we need to. And those are the moments. 
those are the moments where we need the Lord to step in through people, through situations, through circumstances. Being encouraged is not just about the rah-rah of people around you, even though that's a huge part of it and what we're going to be talking about today. Encouragement is also built into your own um, motivation, your own um, strengthening, your own place of existing. And it is a core foundation and a core function of, of our faith. Encouragement is. Listen, encouragement is a core foundation of it. One of the things I like to look at too is that prayer is often um, one of the most profound encouragers we have. I believe that's why Paul said, you know, I wish that, you know, it's good to speak in tongues, but I wish that we could all prophesy. Moses said, I wish that you could all prophesy because they understand the power of the spirit that comes through our ability to um, um, receive prophecy. Because one of the most profound things about the prophetic word is that we're challenged to prophesy. I believe there's a scripture I probably need to add to my list of scriptures today. So um, Minister Dominique, help me not forget um, 1 Corinthians 13. Sure. Help me not forget that. But I, I want you to just hold on because we need this. I want to share this poem. I think I wrote this poem back in 2007, 2008. And this was at the, you know, when I was still coming into my maturity, I was, uh, I, you know, I had walked a while with the Lord, but I was still at that beginning place and then coming into another place. And we're always on that journey of glory to glory. But I wrote this poem back then, and it's called Undone. And I want to share it with you today. And again, if some of you have a poem that you can get through in under 10 minutes, and you are among the first people to want to share at the end of this message, I would love for you to share your poem of encouragement, your poem of strengthening, but it will need to be within that two minute um, time frame. We don't want to spend seven minutes and I'll go with the first two or three people. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to just be ready for that at the end, because again, we need to be encouraged. But Philippians one to six, one verse six is the verse leading into this poem. And it says, and I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Undone. I stand before him undone, an unfinished song writing the rhythm of his heartbeat, a phrase in a poem hanging on the edge of lips waiting to be uttered. And I see myself sitting warily on the potter's wheel in awe of his majesty, weighed down by his glory, submitted to his omnipotence as my life unfolds before blank pages on the conundrum of change. And as the ballerina's footsteps are frozen in time in midair, and I wouldn't dare try to convince anyone that I could complete her twist, her turn, as I learn who I am, where I fit, what I'm doing here in this earth, while reminding the world that even in this seemingly maturing state that I'm not perfect, just unfinished. 
And sometimes my heart reaches for an embrace that can fix the cracks, time and circumstances made in the ultimate artist's paintings. Before in innocence was lost, before fear entered and I could boldly love and live and laugh. And so now I close my eyes and I imagine the painter with paintbrush in hand, deciding whether I'll rise or fall or be painted into darkness as the piano awaits and the next note from the maestro's fingers are heard. So I cling to this will undone, wondering what to tell those who wonder still who I am. How did I get here? Where am I going? Am I the person they believe I am? Can I be what others expect? Can I be what he expects? But today I must tell them that this master's piece called me will be completed when the last lyric is sung, when the lips of the greatest poet closes, when the blank pages of his book are filled when the ballerina completes her twist, and when the ultimate artist lays down his paintbrush. But for now, I stand before him undone. So I, I shared this poem because we all in different places. We're all in different stages. And back then, I didn't know how much God could feel us. And I mean, fill us up. I didn't understand that he wasn't like Zeus moving us around as chess pieces on a board. I was still kind of reconciling that place in myself that said, am I going to stay on this race? Am I going to continue in the place that I'm in? Am I going to be able to finish? I didn't understand that um, the Lord had already finished making me who I was and who I would become. I didn't understand that all I had to do was stay on the journey as fiercely and as committed as I could and collide with his paintbrush in the process. And so I look at this and, you know, I see so much of God emerging in that poem. And I also see so much of the confusion that I was still um, struggling in the midst of. And it's good to go back sometimes and read the things that God has given us so we can see the painting in progress. We can see the um, poem being finished. We can see the journey that has been set before us. And all we need is a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith. And God clears all of that stuff up. He shows us that we're not on a chessboard but we're in his arms. We're under the shadow of his wings. He shows us that it's not a game of chance, but it's a deliberate act. <laughs> Philippians 1 and 6, it just says, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. A lot of us see that scripture and we think that scripture is solely about the second coming, <laughs> you know, or the third coming, because we know that he came in the earth as Jesus. Then he made his triumphant debut in us through the work of the cross and the resurrection. And we know that there is another return, one in which we will be settled and everything will be finalized and we will not have to worry about 
this earth life again. But until that time comes, we have faith, we have his love, and we have hope. Those three things that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, the only three things that will remain. And I want us to really hold fast in that truth. The faith will remain because it's what we believe. It's our place of trusting that everything Jesus has said, that everything Christ has imparted in that resurrected place is true. Faith. The second thing we have is hope. Hope is our exhortation. It's our encouragement. You know, nothing can die if hope is kept alive. Nothing can die. And then love. We have to believe in that because that's who God is. It is who he is. I mean, it's who he is. And all of those things work together. In, in the Lord, they work together. And in us, they are perfecting. They are perfecting. And we need to hold on to that. Over the last few weeks, our focus has been on healing. And we've approached this subject in the conservatory from a very non-traditional, church traditional, prophetic traditional perspective. Most of our, our healing, I know when I was growing up, and we've talked about this so many times, was predicated on, um, you know, sitting in that deliverance chair, spitting in that bucket, hunting out that demon. You know, so much of it was tied to that. So much of it was tied to the truth of laying on of hands, to the truth of wise counsel, to the truth of, of wisdom, to the truth of fellowship. We know that, 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 that area, those parts are necessary, but there are also things at work around us in the faith that we have to increase in ever the more. In the conservatory, we push toward the methods of Christ concerning our healing. I'm always challenging you, how did Christ do this? Not Paul, not Peter, not, not James, not the pastor down the street, not the super spiritual superstar minister, but how can we just go back and look at how simple Christ made this? Can, can we look at the simplicity of it? Can we just say, oh my goodness, Christ just said, be healed. And the woman was healed. Christ said, Ray, be raised from the dead, you know, that you shall live, get up. And they got up. It wasn't all the in-between that we sometimes experience in our pursuit of Jesus. And being able to teach this to people can be hard because in our mind, you're like that, well, I know that method working. We did it like this. And of course it worked if that's where your faith level is at. Of course it works if that's the only way you see that it can happen. But what if all of that faith you have in that 30-day deliverance process could be summed up in a second of belief? What if you could trust Jesus in a moment to reckon it done. Oh my goodness. What if we could change all of the processes of routing demons and what if we could believe, be free in Jesus' name. 
What if we could move our faith into the place that Christ's faith stood? Is it okay for us to want this? Am I evil for wanting to have the faith that Jesus had when he walked the earth? Can I just say to a man, get up and walk? Or do we need a process? What if you can move from process to certainty? You know, I, I appreciate the hands of men. I know some of us do have process. I'm not saying that. Life is a process. But I am saying, what if we can shift to the mind of Christ and understand by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Reckoning it done. Doesn't mean you have to ignore symptoms, but it does mean you have to rise above it. It does mean that. Maturity demands that we rise above what we see in the natural and that we exist in what actually is in the spirit. That's a basic Hebrews 11 principle. It's, it's what Dr. K taught us when she was here last time, the more. It's that um, process of thought that Dominique <laughs> gave us when she taught um, a, a, few, a few weeks ago. It's that, uh, can you just forgive? <laughs> It's, it's what we heard from Apostle Pam. It's all of these teachings that we've had from the conservatory when Minister Sam went forth. We've been hearing literally the same message. It reiterated to us in different ways over and over again. Frequency, that place that we were taught just recently. Can we get on the same page as the mind of Christ? Can we literally do that? It's not evil for me not to want to have the devil as the center of my conversation. How can I say this? Look at who was at the center of Jesus's conversations. I want you to really look at how little he spoke of the devil. I want you to look at the apostles and I want you to consider how little they focused on that especially after the resurrection. Listen, the new covenant was always before us when Jesus walked the earth, but it began when he gave up the ghost on the cross and was resurrected. We're being called into higher places and in the conservatory, I'm always going to call you into your higher place. But if the lower mind is always talking about that work for me and this the way, if, if that's where you're at, there will be no growth. There will be no significant growth. This is just how I am. I'm sad for you. Because we can all be better. We can all come out of those six states of mind. Oh my goodness. Our approach is not, again, devil focused. We are Christ conscious. That is not evil. If, if, 
If the enemy is under our feet, does that mean Christ consciousness? I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that makes sense to you because so many people will attack what you believe and how we talk and how we speak because they think we don't see. But the thing is, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. We see Jesus. We look for Jesus. We look for the all-powerful. We understand that Christ is greater than any devil. We understand that Christ and the devil are not co-equals on a yin-yang symbol. There is no balance with Christ and evil. There is only Christ. Right? That's hard for a carnal, a carnal earthbound mind to grasp when it's rooted in a lot of these traditional um, witch hunts. Yes, we're going to be talking about encouragement. We're already talking about it, really. We're already being led into that. And hats off to those of you who are exhorters. And this is your ministry, because I believe that there are aspects of your calling that we are yet to uncover. Be glad if exhortation is your calling. Be glad if you walk in love over judgment. Be glad. Because that's mercy. <laughs> you know how to give mercy. If you can look at people through the eyes of compassion versus through the eyes of their abominations. We talked about that. We talked about how we define sin determines how we see people and how we see God. It does. It does. Within the conservatory, we examine intention and we make intention simple. People who don't like that word will always attack us because they think we're avoiding the devil, right? <laughs> but intention is just the purpose of God. What is God's purpose in the earth? And if you know anything else, you know that his purpose is to get his family back together and love on them, period. His purpose is not just to get you saved. That's the door to his purpose. Oh my gosh, I'm not just hanging on the street trying to get people to love God and come into the kingdom. I'm having them, if I do that, which I used to, but if I were to do that, the intention is I want you to come home. Welcome home. Welcome home. It's safe here at home. You are loved here at home. I got your back here at home. It's welcome home. Not now we can fight the devil for real. That is not the intention. The intention is to build a place and be a part of the place where hearts can dwell. 
in unity with Christ, where he can love us like he did in the garden in paradise before the fall. That's what Christ reset. He reset our ability to embrace that place. So this approach that we have in the conservatory is geared toward bringing us into Christ's fullness. When you see the word fullness in the new covenant, especially in the letters of Paul, you're always going to hear maturity because they're the same thing. Ephesians 4.11 is all about maturity in Christ. It's all about not just you be mature and not act like a child. It's like mature thinking, maturely approaching life. It's, it's, it's expressing life after the pattern of Christ. Inside the Scribal Conservatory Bible Study Group, I, um, I put a link in there this morning. It's called 30 Strong Bible Scriptures on Maturity. If you want to, you can pull that out. I'm going to read some of them right now before we go into the heartbeat of the lesson. But this is very important to where we're going this morning because maturity is wholeness. Maturity is, is, is the promises, knowing that those promises are infallible concerning you. Not the promise that you're going to be a millionaire, but the promise that you have eternal life. The promise that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you no matter how bad things get. The promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, nor depth. We're talking the promises that man can't manipulate. <laughs> We're talking those types of promises. Because those are the promises the Bible's talking about. He's not talking about you and all those temporal things. You know, and I think that helps us if we are able to go back and listen to some of those um, teachings and really read the Bible for ourselves because people make you think God is with them because a material promise is kept. But the scripture tells us profoundly that even the devil knows how to give good gifts. So we can't base God being with us on any type of material return. But you can base it on your peace. You can base it on your forgiveness level. You can base it on your compassion and the mercy that you extend forth. You can base it on those things. I'm looking at this passage, uh, these passages, and I'm just going to go through them quickly. I may stop on one or two of them. I'm not going to read them all, but there are just some that I think are so important to what we're going to talk about this morning. First Corinthians 14 and 20, it says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Oh my gosh, be full of Christ. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. In, in fact, I mean, be infants. Can you imagine being an infant in evil, oblivious to the evil around you? Not saying um, Naya Evite, we're not talking about that. But in your thinking, be mature. Oh my God. 
and your thinking be like Christ as it comes to evil. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a, a full-grown adult, I gave up childish ways. Mm, maturity, I don't gossip anymore. I'm not following the Kardashians like I'm crazy. I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not getting mad at you and just not speaking to you no more because my God, Christ would never do that to us. Think about all the stuff we do to God every day that does not please him. Yet here he is right there with us. Oh, I remember how bad of a Pharisee I was. And God was with me as a Pharisee. Some of you, if not most of you were Pharisees. Coming out of religious thought processes, religious systems. Some were coming out of lasciviousness, doing whatever you want and still claiming your salvation, not understanding the consequence. But he was still with you. So when he tell us to love one another as ourselves, He's like, you can't forgive that person for slighting you or, or assuming that that person slighted you. You can't even do that, but yet you're mature. Oh man, do we have a long way to go in ourselves and how we see ourselves. Oh my goodness. Ephesians 4.13. We have the Ephesians 4.11 gifts for one primary purpose, to help everybody attain to the unity of the faith. That doesn't mean doctrine. You got to believe that women can't wear pants. You got to believe that women can't preach. That's legalism. That is not the same thing. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, he's talking about unity of the faith is you shall know them by their love. Let's live and dwell together in harmony. Our pursuit is always to see how I can be at peace with you. And get this, at peace with my enemy. Legalism makes you feel as if you have to agree with people to have peace. All you need to have peace is dignity for, a human, for humankind. All you need is kindness has nothing to do with whether you agree with their doctrine or not. And you know what's so strange? In our families, we love our evil, cricket family members with that kind of understanding. But we can't do it with people in the church, leaders, friends, but we can do it in them dirty families some of us have been a part of. We can forgive the most horrendous things we can learn how to agree to disagree. <laughs> oh my goodness, but it's such a struggle when you feel slighted in the church by the dumbest of things. I'm just being real because we think we have maturity. But if we have maturity, that means we're operating in Christ's fullness, not our own fullness. So this whole idea of the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature 
adulthood to met to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ was so able to do this that he did it on the cross. He did it on the walk to the cross. Oh my goodness. Oh, someone just made a good statement. They're absolutely right. We don't even think like this, but we're mature, right? <laughs> we're mature. Second Peter 3 and 18. No, we're not looking at that one. That one is not carrying the, the depth that I want. I'm going to read this. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not coming to man. God is faithful and temptation is not just sin, people. Please get this. We always think temptation is being tempted into something perverse. Temptation is to have your way. Temptation is to um, want to do things the way you want to do them <laughs> versus how God tells you to, right? So if I'm tempted to cuss you out and I have all the right to do that, it, listen, we just need to be correct with that passage. We can be tempted in all kinds of ways. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. We all can testify to this. There are responses to things we could have made. There are situations where we could have acted out. There are times we've been so angry we thought our head would explode, but there was God in the midst restraining us. Restraining us. Road rage, we've been restrained. I'm just making it practical religiosity legalism will make us be so self-righteous that we see temptation as i don't steal i pray every day see that's that's justification not realizing that we still have dirty rags we're washing clean every day through repentance oh my goodness 1 Corinthians 2 and 6. Oh, no, let me go here, but I want to read this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. This place of endurance, this place of escape, for God is encouraging you in his faith. In you, in his faith in you and what he created. It's him calling you for. It's him giving you the strength to stand. It's him bringing you into places of conviction and repentance so that you can be encouraged in the faith. Our ability to endure is based on encouragement. When I asked you all what it meant to be encouraged, someone wrote, it is to be made alive. But another person wrote, it is to be corrected, to be set straight. Encouragement is not just rah-rah. 
it's also having a heart to receive difficult truths. Many people cannot receive correction because they think you're wrong or they think the people in their lives are only there to encourage you. Many people don't align with leadership because they don't want to be corrected. And I'm not saying going under somebody's covering. I'm saying being accountable at people that are higher in the spirit realm of understanding, not higher by position, but higher by wisdom, the eldership place as the, as the scriptures call it. Those who sacrifice in the Lord. We all need that. If we're really wanting to grow in greater heights and greater depths and understanding, I'm not saying you need to plant your body in some, some um, institution, but I am saying we should all have dedicated places where we hear correction, where we don't pick and choose our, our messages like candy. Sour flavor today. I, I don't want to hear that. No, where you get what you need right? You get what is needed. And if you knew what you needed, there will never be need for encouragement, right? But if you're discouraged, there's a need there, right? And God needs the freedom to be able to meet that need conservatory. We are talking about encouragement and it's about to get really good in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 2 and 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. You among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Oh my goodness. I want to read a couple more. 2 Timothy 2, 22. So flee youthful passions and, mature, and pursue righteousness. There we go. There's maturity, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Oh, my gosh. Flee youthful passions. All the stuff that was important to you when you were 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm older now, so I can go all the way up to the numbers that I am. And tomorrow I'll be challenged in this area. Flee youthful passions, the hot tongue. You just say anything that fly from your mouth because you feel like you can say it because you're so free. <laughs> you know, there, there's something to be said about restraint. Because restraint is utter wisdom. It is the considering of others. It is evidence of maturity. It is evidence that you're thinking before you're speaking. It's evidence that you have learned to tame your tongue. Oh my goodness. Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, but he's struggling in his prayers that you may be mature. Oh my gosh. 
We be praying for people's situation and circumstances to change. And Jesus is saying, I walked to the cross and my circumstances never change. They still beat me. I was still bleeding. They ripped my clothes off. I suffered everything that a man has ever experienced beforehand. And I rose above it in a mature place, fully assured of the will of God. But here we have Epaphras. Listen, this man, he's praying for the maturity of the saints. What a prayer. Every week for six years, almost seven, we've been praying for maturity in the conservatory. We've been teaching immersion the drowning of the body in the fullness of christ the saturation of you in the fullness immersion is not being lost in the spirit because the song is good that's not what we're talking about that's an experience that's an experience it is no sign of maturity. A baby can do this. But what if there is no presence for you to feel because you're being beaten? What if there's no joy because people talking about you like a dog, thinking, oh, she just a writer. Scrabble ministry ain't nothing. Where are you in the midst of that conversation? Are you crying, saying I should give up? Or are you pushing harder than you ever have in your whole life? That's the difference between being a baby in the faith and walking mature. Doesn't mean you're not hurting. It doesn't mean it breaks your heart to know this is how people see you. It doesn't mean... That, that, that you are not um, upset because you're being disrespected. It means you're able to rise above it and not be angry and not be bitter and not retreat. And it means you can come out stronger than you ever have before. We're talking about Jesus because we're in him, right? We are image and likeness, likeness and image, right? If Jesus did it, we got to find somewhere in us that we can do it. To say we can't is to deny Christ, which is a sin. Oh my goodness. We're moving forward. I promise we're almost at the end of this. Oh, Ephesians 4 and 4. So listen, this is about growing in maturity. We just talked about Ephesians 4.11, that you may stand mature and fully assured. You skip down two more verses and it lets you know that Ephesians 4.11 gifts exist, not just so you can prophesy and sound good and tell everybody the future and be accurate and oh, the Lord use you through that song. No, no. Maturity is about no longer being children, 
tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. They got 10 prophets on their back. Prophet, what you think about this? She said this. What you think? How you interpret it? I mean, by the time you're through, you got 20 opinions and no answer. But you mature, right? But you're going to buddies and not people who are going to set you straight. Complete confusion. When I need counsel, I go higher than my friend level. You better believe that. And I'm willing to receive correction and alignment. <laughs> Get them profits off your back and align with the one that should have your ear. Oh my goodness. You're mature, but over here, you're still chasing demons and devils. And that's your God. Your God is Satan. That's your fear. I mean, my God. But over here, Jesus is giving you peace. He's giving you rest. If you can reckon it done and rise above. We're still talking about encouragement. It'll make sense in a minute. But we love Galatians 2.20, right? I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Wouldn't that be great if we could see the wisdom of that operating in our lives? If Christ is living in me, I don't have to fight all these things that I've been taught to fight. I don't have to run from the devil. I don't have to stomp his head and call him old slew foot. I don't have to do any of that. Jesus didn't do it. Jesus did not do that. His life is in us now. Last one I'm going to read. But solid food is for the mature. We're solid food in the conservatory. We're not baby food ministry. We're a solid food ministry. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Discernment is really about knowing the will of God, not you seeing devils. That's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Because there are people who are actually, who actually believe their calling is to know what's going on in hell. I hate to tell you all this, but there is no calling in the history of the Bible that has people watching Satan. I'm saying that for a reason. There is no calling in the history of the Bible Assigned to the devil. Some of y'all have hooked up with the very thing you think you're fighting. Just putting that out there. Check the Bible yourself. Check the Bible yourself. Jesus never appointed ministers over the enemy's camp. 
That was not their outlook. That was not their post. We have been assigned to keep our eyes on who? And I'll let you finish that sentence. We got to heal our minds. One more. Therefore, Hebrews 6 and 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of dead faith. Oh my God. I'm not teaching certain things anymore. I had somebody tell me, well, y'all don't teach discipleship. But baby, we passed that. If I'm working with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, of course you go back to the foundations. This is the milk foundations. But we need meat now more than ever. James said this, he said, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Oh my God. Jesus even was said to have increased in wisdom and stature. In other words, Jesus grew. He matured in his journey. He went from child to man. Oh my goodness. This doesn't mean that people are evil. It means that people, their doctrine is messed up. It means their thinking is twisted. It means trouble is ahead. Let's look at Hebrews 3. We're not reading all of this. Um, I want to just read the, the part in blue right here. We know this because we go over it all the time. This is one of our foundation pillars. Jesus is greater than Moses. That's not why we're here. I want to read verse 12 to you. It says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has, sin, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now listen to this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's look at this in a different way. Encouragement is one of the greatest spiritual gifts in the Bible because it turns our hearts away from sinning against God. If I can keep you encouraged, you won't deny the faith. If I can keep you encouraged, you won't give up and curse God and die. If I can keep you encouraged, if you can keep someone encouraged, if the scriptures can keep someone encouraged, if you can stay in encouragement, if you can surround yourself with exhorters, you will live and you will be made alive. Encouragement is not just feeling better about your situation. It's not just feeling better so you can rah, rah, rah and be winning. It is about staying strong in the faith. Exhortation is one of the strongest 
ministries in ministry, and it is fueled by love. It's fueled by love. It is why the Lord tells us to prophesy in love, because if we prophesy in anger, if we prophesy looking at people through the eyes of abomination, if we prophesy to people looking at their sin, we'll miss the opportunity to build them up. Yes, I know you in sin, but the Lord says you're his. You belong to him. You were created in his image. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know that you're believing some crazy stuff, but God is with you. Every good work that he began in you, he guaranteed that he would see it completed. It might take 30 years for you to get to a place where you're awakened to him, where you're willing to come out of that rebellion, where you're willing to come out of those fixed ideas. It might have taken you a long time. That wasn't God's plan, but it took you that long. But be encouraged because the new day is before you. See, when you're being built in maturity, when you're coming into these places of fullness, you grow into understanding just how important encouragement is. And while you still need encouragement, when you're in a place of maturity, you will never faint because your maturity has advanced you like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Whereas your tree was planted and seeking sand before. Oh my goodness, it's good to me. We have one rule, love one another. Love God. Living is love. One rule. In verse 13, be but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I love to see those who love me bring a cake along or a hug or, or, or you know, we, it's funny what we dismiss as ministry. We think it's ministry. Oh, let's go hear the prophet, the prophet prophesying, but there is no love. You're jumping up and down and them people tearing people up, left and right. Not understanding that you can correct and align through encouragement. Dead bodies everywhere. Well, they deserve it. They shouldn't have done that. Oh my goodness. No Jesus. But yet he's living on the inside, right? We singing that song up, down, and backwards. We say we mature and we're not demonstrating the ministry of exhortation. We preach out of a place of exhortation. We prophesy out of exhortation. It doesn't mean covering up sin it means you are understanding that I've got to show them how much God loves them while I'm prophesying. 
I've got to show them how much God loves them while they're getting that 20 year sentence. Oh, you're going to pay the consequence. But know that even in the midst of the consequences, there is love for you. Oh, my God. Yeah, what they did was bad. Yes, it tore up a community, tore up a family, but God is still there. How do I know? He saved Paul. He saved David. He saved Moses. He didn't even correct Moses after Moses killed that man. Oh my gosh. Just saying. Because God did a work. Repentance came anyway. And people aligned with their greater. They aligned with their more, no matter how bad it is. Oh my goodness. We have come to share Christ, sharing Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Encouragement blocks the hearts. Encouragement keeps the heart from being blocked, from hearing his voice. Oh my goodness. Encouragement feeds our maturity. It allows us to learn from our lessons. Encouragement clears the mind by giving, by, by taking the negative thoughts out and putting hope there. By taking despair out and putting faith there. By taking hopelessness out and putting courage there. It makes a way for truth. How do I know? Be encouraged. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another. Actively share goodness with one another. Actively remind one another who they are in the Lord. Actively recall the promises of God that are before us as long as it is today. And today means the moment we have right now because tomorrow is not promised. It's not talking about today because Jesus is coming. If you lay down for the last time, right now, Jesus has come for you. He's come for you. That's why we try to forgive every day. That's why we try to love every day. That's why we try to do what's necessary to be at peace every day because tomorrow is not promised. Encouragement. I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be happy today if it's the last thing I do. I'm gonna fight through it. I'm gonna fight through it. I am gonna live. I'm gonna get my toxic thinking dealt with. I'm not going to believe everybody is against me. I'm gonna stop hiding. I'm gonna be true to who I am. 
Almost done. Oh, wow, wow, wow. I just want to read this a little bit. Now, brothers and sisters, it's 1 Thessalonians 5. About the tapes and times, we do not need to write. For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We know that this was a particular time in history, but I want you to hear something here. He says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. There's an individual end of day. Sunrise and sunset for every soul. It's amazing how we understand this in our funerary programs, but we struggle with this concept in the midst of our faith. Live while it is day, Teresa. Love while you can, Teresa. Forgive while it's presented to you, Teresa. Be as much of a carrier of Christ as you can, Teresa. Right now, right now, not tomorrow, this moment that we are in now. Oh my goodness. This moment that we are in right now. And listen to this, everyone on this line, see the promises tells everyone on this line that they, are, they belong to God. <laughs> you belong to God, you've been chosen. You're part of the royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are beloved. You were formed. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he tells us in verse four, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you. So this day should surprise you like a thief. Oh, what? What? Is that for me? You are all children of light and children of the day. You need to know, this is an example of encouragement, that no matter how dark things get around you, no matter how bad it happens, no matter what is to come, we are always living in the day as sons of God. I am living in the light always. Darkness is never a part of me. I mean, it's scripture and it's said many times. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. And those who are sleeping are not just people who are in the world system. People in the congregation are asleep. They don't know what they have. They don't know what they've been given. They can't accept that they are healed. They need a three-year process. Oh my God, they need to believe what all the gurus say about their healing process. They, they, they need that. Do we need grief counseling? Do we need healing? Yes, we do. But we also need to be contending for our faith in the midst of it, right? And we should move into a place where we can believe God and not miss a beat and our faith with him.
but let's read on. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Oh my God. God in our heart and ensuring our faith. Oh God. Guarding our heart and ensuring our faith. That's how we become sober. I cast down every high thought that exalts itself. I hope you're seeing this. I will believe what God says about me. We got work to do. Whether mama loved me or not, I was chosen. And he went through a lot of trouble to get me here because that woman didn't want me. I'm just saying, I'm just speaking. I'm not talking about myself. I'm just sharing. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The wheat and the tear, still growing up together. Awake or asleep. Tears are not just the laws. You can be lost and saved. Oh my goodness. Then verse 11. Here it goes again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. There's that exhorter again. What are they building themselves up in? You are in the light, not darkness. We are not drunk. We are sober. We have faith and love as our breastplate. We have the hope of salvation. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together. So those who are here right now, whether you are awake or asleep, we're encouraging you. We're building you up in the hope that you will be awakened. We're building you up in the hope that you will come into maturity and be able to stand. We're building you up daily that that thing that is sin in your life becomes a thing you hate. Not because you hate the person that you feel may be influencing the sin, but because you hate that this is not pleasing to God. See, we despise sin because it causes us to perish, not because we don't like the people. Oh my goodness. Then he says, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you and the Lord and who admonish you. That's the context of this. Encouragement. Hold them in the highest regard, not worship encourage them in the highest regard in love oh my goodness in love encourage in love because when you encourage any environment in love everyone is empowered and encouraged in love it drips oh my goodness last passage last passage last passage Oh, man. So 
just out of curiosity, I'm not reading all of this. Don't worry. I'm only reading three scriptures. When we look at this from um, John 16, if you read previously, he was preparing the disciples for his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, the Lord was giving um, them final instructions. And so this is the disciples. They're all upset about what they're hearing. And he had been speaking to them in parables all the time. Just follow me. I want, I'm going to start with 25. So there'll be about hmm, four or five scriptures. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming. This is Jesus speaking. When I will no longer use the kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. I want you to hear this again. Though I have been speaking to you in parables a lot, I'm going to tell you right now that there's a time when I'm going to speak to you plainly. In other words, I don't have to speak to you in parables anymore. I don't have to meet you by way of mysteries. I don't have to meet you by way of dreams and visions. I want you to know what I mean. I know this is going to be a difficult concept. We have worshiped mysteries, dreams, visions, obscure prophetic words. We've worshiped signs, leaves falling from trees. Y'all finna get mad. And granted, up until this point, all we've heard Christ speak of parables. All through the old covenant were parables. All through the old covenant were mysteries and dreams. Isn't it ironic that Christ never interpreted, he interpreted parables, but when you move after the resurrection, you do not see a lot of that. Can you agree? Think about it for a minute. Because before I can carry you into this next part, I've got to see that you hear what I'm talking about. This is why I teach on the new covenant realm of dreams and visions. It's the main reason why. Because I want people to get through verse 25. If you only expect God to speak to you in mysterious words and weird kooky signs and wonders, you won't be able to process or hear him in any other way. You're going to have to wait for that dream. But what if, what if you said, speak to me plainly, Lord? Let me know your will right now, Lord. I appreciate the dream realm. I love when you choose to speak to me this way. But I know now that I know that you have said out of your own words that you will speak to me plainly. Oh my God. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but I will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. 
I am not saying that I will ask, listen, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. What is this? Jesus transferring power? Jesus transferring truth and encouragement? No. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then he said, now, then the disciples said, oh my goodness, you're speaking clearly now without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. Oh God. Have we missed it? Have we missed something? In the midst of mysteries, the revealing of Christ, have we missed something that we have already? Reminds me of connecting. Have we missed it? But listen, this makes us believe that you came from God. Wow, what an encouragement. Now listen, do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. What a profound statement. He's saying to them, and all of this, he's saying, you will have a way to communicate with me, even though we are all over in different places everywhere. Because we know that gift is the spirit. I have told you these things so that in me, you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart is this. Be encouraged. Be exhorted. Be admonished. Believe. Faith is for your encouragement. Hope is for your encouragement. Love is for your encouragement. He said, take heart. Be encouraged because I've overcome the world. Oh my God, I hope you all are hearing. I hope you all are hearing. I, I, I know this seems like a, a weird message on encouragement, but we have to understand that in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, in the midst of our own spiritual growth and development and missteps, every place of correction, every place of rebuke, every place of admonishment comes from a desire that we don't give up, that we stay on the path, that we remain encouraged. As long as exhortation, the right kind is in our midst, we can continue. Let me put a pause like here while I cry myself a river. Okay, let me unpause. I'm encouraged. I can continue. I can do this even if you feel like you cannot. 
Everybody has a cry river season, but we cannot die there. There are some things in life that are so bad. There are some mistakes we make that we just feel like we can't recover from. There are some things we have done in our youth before we move to our mature places that we have to forgive each other for. And that we have to move beyond. If we don't, it's going to put us in a place of holding a place where we will be easily discouraged and can't move forward. Encouragement is not just rah-rah cheerleader. It is also all of the things that keep us on not just a path, but the right path in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you that we are all exhorters one to another, that we all understand that as management, we're supposed to be corrected. If we don't allow that avenue in our lives, we're in trouble because that means our tree is not being pruned. And I know, Father, that you are one who prunes the tree, but you created us in community to help one another. We are not petty people. We do not glorify being petty. Being petty is not cute. Even when it's in a joking form, it's, Lord, it, it just contradicts everything that you have created us to be. We will not be a petty and a trifling people. We will grow up. Fullness will be who we are ordained and called into. How can we be like Christ? Because love to people is, I just want to hold your hand and let you be miserable for the next 30. We don't do that. That's, that's, that's flesh. We get in the position that you were in with Job. Cry your river. Now pull up your pants and get on with it. The, the place of Ezekiel. But my wife died. Bury her and come do the work that I have for you. The, the, the servant that can't say, I'll go with you. Leave everything you own and follow me. Wherever we find ourselves, if the woman at the well can spend five minutes with Jesus and totally flip her life right side up, surely we can. Father, we thank you. I pray that our understanding and, and wherever we are in it is understood. I pray that there is grace for us and where we are right now. And there's no condemnation where we are, but we know that this isn't a stamp on, I'm just myself. Be yourself in Jesus. I am myself in Christ. Restraint is my friend. Moderation is my blessing. I don't need to be too much of anything except Jesus. May we all declare exhorters around us. I pray that you send us exhorters, people who love us, people who are with us, but that will risk the friendship for truth, that will risk everything, the place where it is out of order, in order, in love. We don't want to be clanging cymbals. 
We don't want to be in that place. We don't want to perish in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, we just declare your best for us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you all for walking out this long message today. I think I was about an hour and 10 minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Apostle Teresa, for an, just a really assuring word. Um, that's what it is to me. And I was just thinking about how belief brings us into encouragement. And I've never looked at it like that prior to you sharing this message with us, meaning that faith you were talking about that endures, that space brings us into a place of encouragement. And I, um, I just wanted to share with everyone a very quick um, poem that I wrote. But first, I just wanted to say that the place of, of discouragement was never intended to be our graveyard. And the intention is fullness. And that in my journey, I'm very grateful for understanding that sometimes our deliverance, if that's what you want to call it, is the renewal of our minds, the encouragement. Sometimes I could be so discouraged and then all of a sudden y'all, I feel strength rise up in me. And you wanna know why? Because I had one thought and that thought was God is with me. And so um, anyway, to, to start this off, this is the scripture that came to me, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promises, Romans 15, 13. So the title of this um, brief poem is called, I was debating, it's either Refresh or Gyra, so you can determine that. Strengthen your slackened hands you who long, long for more, wondering if your soul will always be burdened and desperately needing a poor. Strengthen your weakened legs, for I will be your steps. I will guide you when you feel like you have no help. For I will engage your slackened heart, for I have placed encouragement in you from the start. You who are tired of false progress, then you digress, then you regress, then you progress again, down in the dumps again. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will fill you with plenty. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will fill you with plenty. Don't be ashamed that you need strength. I give strength, and then I give rest again. Be encouraged in me, never forsaking you, for I am. I am the God of all hope. I will help you so that no man can boast. I am. I have given you Eden in a dry land. The question is simple. Will you trust my plan? Jaira, the one who always provides. Remember the times past and how you survived. Jaira a very present help in the time of trouble. When your heart is weary, I'll be your burden bearer. So the next time you are disheartened, 
hurting in a silent pain. Whisper to yourself, for this Christ came. So the next time you are hurting, wondering if this pain will ever end, remember that I, the Lord your God, will satisfy you in a dry and a parched land. The new day is upon you. Your soul can already perceive that I am within you, always providing for you. The new day is upon you. Your soul can already see that I am within you, always providing water where you are thirsty. And the Lord will continually guide you and will satisfy your soul in scorched and dry places. He will give strength to your bones and you will become like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isaiah 58 and 11. I'm going to lean into the weird way weird way to encourage and exhort. Um, this is a poem, it's very short. I wrote it back uh, last year, March. And it's kind of my, my take on the emperor's new clothes, if anyone remembers that uh, folktale. But if you just, just hear me by, by the spirit, there's a point to it. It's called, it, the title is Dressed Empress. Feeling the nakedness of my own brand of crazy and with nothing left to pull out of my closet, I close my eyes and imagine myself fully dressed. My life was like I had gone on a shopping spree without a credit limit. Before I realized what I had on, I was standing in front of a dressing room mirror wearing a mismatched wardrobe of everybody else's brand of crazy. Now, I'm not opposed to knockoffs, but this madness didn't fit me. So I stripped down to my core and took my own measurements. And that's that. And the, the simplest thing is, uh, I'll just say is, uh, clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what, other people say and put on you, um, your, your call, it might feel like crazy, but just trust the Lord and, and go with it. You know, you, you know, they, they, they say, you know, the, the abundance of counsel and whatnot, but sometimes you just got to do that hard work on your own. So just strip down to your core and take your own measurements and put on Christ and you'll be all right.